accent. Uh, I don't have a Texas accent, unfortunately. I could pretend for a while. If, 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 so, how y'all doing? No. Uh, it's great to be with you guys. It was fantastic to be with uh, you guys yesterday. For those of you who were there, your church is such a loving, kind, friendly, God-loving, fun church. And uh, Rachel and I thoroughly enjoyed our time. So it's fantastic to be with you this morning. Um, it is Matt's birthday. Do you guys know that? Of course, he's not going to say anything. He tries to underplay it. But man, we have, Rachel and I have been so blessed by Matt and Grace. Just the friendship and uh, the encouragement that they have brought to our lives. Matt, for me, is a gift, and uh, I, I, I just appreciate him a ton. He has come and preached at our church and blessed us and our phone calls, and, and he, we uh, got to travel to Nepal in February. So I just absolutely am so enriched by my relationship with Matt. So, all right, we're going to get into it this morning. If you don't mind opening up your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3. I love the book of Proverbs. Uh, Proverbs is uh, practical wisdom. It gets down into the nitty-gritty of life, the nitty-gritty everyday actions and behaviors of life. And we need wisdom for everyday life. We don't need wisdom only to be theoretical, kind of up in the air. No, we need Wisdom to be grounded into our everyday life. So let's read this passage and let's learn a little bit about what God has for us and our lives. So Proverbs chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Here's what it says. My son or my daughter, if you're here this morning and a woman, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. Everybody say heart. heart. Do you guys do that in England? Is that like a bad thing to do to make you say something? <laughs> Huh? Okay. All right. For length of days and years, oh, sorry, we let me, my, your heart keep my commandments for length of days and years of life and peace, they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your... Oh, you guys are amazing. Okay. So you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and a man and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. So this is one of those key passages in the Bible, one of those key passages that give us, is so rich and give us so much. I want to uh, kind of frame how we should read this as followers of Jesus. Uh, for those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus, for those who have recognized that Christ's death on the cross was a substitute, he was a substitute in our place, and he died in our place in order that we can have forgiveness of sins and be reconciled with our Father, with our Father. Now Solomon is the guy that wrote most of Proverbs, and he is writing to his son, he's a king, he's writing to his sons on how to um, be a king and how to uh, live in this life with wisdom and how to reign. And so when we read this now as followers of Jesus, we read this with this great doctrine of adoption. 
adoption. Through the work of Jesus, we are adopted. Solomon, yes, was writing to his son, but Solomon isn't the wisest. Solomon isn't the wisest. It's our God who is the wisest. And Solomon, inspired by the Holy Spirit, wrote down these words, and, and they were good for his sons. But as we read these words, we read these words as our Father directly speaking to us. One of the amazing things about being a Christian is we are sons and we are daughters of God. So when we read this, we are reading the very words of our Father to us, instructing us on how to live in practical everyday life. This is what it's about. I have a 13-year-old son, and uh, I'm starting to intentionally disciple him. Uh, when we went on sabbatical in November, December, Rachel and I was our first sabbatical, and I made a resolution. I made a resolution I would connect more with my family and with my wife and so I have an office and I have a desk in the middle of my office and all the books and and for a long time it was don't bother me when I'm in my office and so when I got back from sabbatical I moved my desk to the side wall it's in the corner now and I put two nice comfy chairs right in the middle of the office and now it's my opportunity and time to either sit with my wife and pray together or bring in one kid after another and just spend some time uh, connecting with them at a heart level and instructing them and right now I'm, I'm taking my son, my 13 year old boy through the book of Proverbs because this is God our Father speaking to us on how we are to live in everyday life. So if we're going to frame this passage and we're going to understand it, we could, we could frame it in two headings. First, uh, it, our Father tells us about the benefits of his way to life. I mean, if this is our Father speaking to us, what's amazing is he is communicating to us, man, there is life to be had. There's this promise of life. Man, life isn't supposed to be boring and miserable and, and just, just pain and suffering. No, he's in, there's an invitation here from our Father to life. Here's what he says. Here's the New Living Translation. Verse 2, it says, if you do this, you will live many years and your life will be satisfying. I mean, what, what the Bible communicates over and over again is that life is supposed to be meaningful and satisfying. In verse 4, it says, then you will find favor both with God and people, and you will earn a good reputation. Just practical things. This is, we want everybody that's a follower of Jesus to have a good reputation in this city. Verse 8 says, then you will have healing for your body and strength for your bones. So there's this promise and there's this invitation, and our good father is saying, hey, Here's the way to life. He's coaching us on how to truly live, how to experience life to the full. He, he wants us to experience life. This is the invitation of our Father. And this isn't um, kind of some selfish materialism, some health, wealth, gospel. If you spit it and you'll get it and you just claim it and you'll get the big house, you'll be wealthy, you'll, you'll, you'll have all the comforts in life. That's not the promise here. The understanding of life to the full is defined by Jesus. We constantly look to Jesus, who's the one who said, you will have life and life to the full, or you will have abundant life. And so we constantly hold to that promise that life is meant to be experienced abundantly here, right now, today, and in our future hope. Not, it's not just in our future hope, it's here and now, and we hold that promise. So our God, our Father, in this passage tells us the good way to life. He's coaching us. 
And the second thing he does is he tells us what we need to do in order to receive or take hold of this good life that he has for us. We, we have to do something. There's something that we have to do. Uh, it's not just automatically going to happen. And we can't be confused that because there's something for us to do that we're trying to earn God's love or God's acceptance. No, we rest in the fact that God is our Father and we are secure in the fact that we are already accepted. We are unconditionally accepted as his sons and daughters. And he's not saying these things to be grumpy. It's not like God our Father, you know, he's a grumpy, angry, he's a, you better do these things. No, he's inviting us to real life. He said, no, I'm inviting you to real life. These are the things that you must do. And he's telling us because he loves us, he wants the best for us. As Christians, we have to be convinced of this. So if this is the context of this passage, is this kind of the framework, the obvious question that we have to ask ourselves is what must we do then to experience this life that our Father is offering us? What must we do to receive this wisdom that comes directly from our Father, this wisdom for everyday life? So let's look at the text again. Let's look at the text again. It's verse 1. We're told that we are to do something with our hearts. In fact, if you picked it up, there's three times that we're told to do something with our hearts. So followers of Jesus, man, we got to get our hearts involved. Verse 1 says, my son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. Verse 3 says, not the let not the steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Verse 5 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. See, God our Father isn't just concerned with our behavior. He's concerned with what is happening in our heart. If you, look at the, if you do a word study through Proverbs, there's 75 times the heart is mentioned. God our Father is concerned with what is happening in our heart. He's concerned what's happening in here. And what God wants is for us to get his wisdom, his way of life to get not just to our head, but down into our hearts. He wants it to get to the depth of us. So the priority of the Christian life is to pursue and to listen to and follow and love wisdom with all of our hearts. With all of our hearts. When we're talking about our hearts, we're not talking about this organ pumping blood. No, we're, we're talking about the center of who we are. We're talking about what makes us us. It's, it's the epicenter of our will. It's the epicenter of our emotions. When we make a decision, it's because we have willed it from our heart. It's, it's our why. Why do we do the things that we do? Well, we can trace back the why we do the things that we do back to the epicenter of our hearts. And God wants our hearts. And he wants all of our hearts. That's why the passage says, with all of our heart. With all of our heart. Nothing is impressive about a half heart. Like if, I, if Rachel and I sit down with my kids, and we're like, kids, we just want you to know. That your mom and dad will always love you with half of our heart. <laughs> That's not impressive. I mean, you don't stand on the altar and say, for 
you know, as long as I live, I promise, I vow to you forever, covenant before God, to love you with half of my being. There's, there's nothing impressive about that. What, what God wants is the epicenter of who we are. He wants not to get all of us. And that means he has to get our hearts. Our hearts matter. Wisdom is calling out and wants our hearts. Our Father wants our hearts. And if we're going to experience this life that he's offering to us, we're going to experience wisdom, we have to get it down into our hearts. If you continue on in Proverbs, in Proverbs 4.23, it's another well-known passage. And Proverbs 4.23 says this, Keep your hearts with all vigilance, for from it flows the springs of life. This is a phenomenal passage, and, and we, we're looking at this as God instructing us what to do with our hearts. And we, he wants us to guard our hearts, because from it flows this spring of life, this wellspring of life. All of our life comes from our hearts, and so therefore it must be guarded. This word guard, and if we look at different translations, could be protect, or it can be um, to keep watch or to care for your heart. And so as, as, as followers of Jesus who are walking in the life that our God provides, we have to ensure that we're protecting our hearts. Here's, here's what the New Living Translation says in this verse. He says, guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Our hearts determine the course of our life. What it's saying is our life is a river and everything that goes on in our life flows from our hearts. See, as our hearts go, so goes our lives. What is happening internally, what is happening inside is going to come out. It's going to reveal itself. And so if you have a troubled heart, uh, if you have a troubled life, you, you're you can point to a troubled heart. If you have a broken life and things are really messed up and there's anxiousness and worry just all, all throughout your day and your life, man, it, it's an issue of the heart. It's an issue of the heart. And here's what Jesus said, kind of, I think Jesus was commenting on this passage in Proverbs 4.23. In Mark 7.21, here's what he says. He says, for from within, out of the heart of man comes evil thoughts, comes sexual immorality, comes theft and murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. And all these things come from within. They, they come from within. So if there is a problem in our lives, the necessity for us is to go upstream to where our heart is and, and, and seek healing and seek help for our broken hearts. So if there's contamination in the water from our lives, man, we have to go back to the heart. I was on a missions trip when I was like 16, and uh, we went to Mexico, and there was this huge ranch that was this mission base, and it was dilapidated, and it wasn't functioning, and they were trying to restore in order that they could start to receive kids to be adopted. And so we were there, a bunch of 16, 15-year-olds there to work, and, and uh, me and my best friend were assigned to go 
clean out the contamination that was in the stream that was contaminating all the water. And there was this 500-pound cow that was all bloated and dead. And as we tried to, you know, pull on it and get it out of the stream, it's just falling apart. It's absolutely, we had the worst job. It was disgusting. Now, now just imagine that you're there and you're about 100, maybe 500 yards downstream. And, um, and, and someone comes up with a clever idea. Hey, this water's contaminated, but I have an idea. Let's just try to filter out the water right now. Right? Let's filter it out right here, and then it'll be drinkable. Nobody would be like that. No, that's not the problem. We don't need to filter it. Here, we need to go upstream, and we need to solve the problem up there. There's a big, bloated, de de decayed cow up there. We got to take care of that. And oftentimes what we do in our lives is we're downstream and we're trying to solve problems. We're like, oh, man, there's an issue here. The water's a little contaminated. Let's get some filters. And, and, and what our Father is saying is that there's problems in our lives. We have to go upstream. We have to chase them down in our hearts. In our hearts. So does God have your heart? When we look at the Old Testament, we see that Jeremiah 17.9 prophesies that the heart is deceitfully wicked. Who could understand it? So the question is, I mean, if that is true, what hope do we have for our hearts? Now, that sounds pretty bleak. Our hearts are deceitful and wicked. They're, what are we to do with our hearts? Well, Jeremiah prophesied hope. I mean, that's pretty bleak. Hearts are desperately wicked. Jeremiah later prophesies hope for our hearts. And Ezekiel prophesies hope for our hearts. Let me just read Ezekiel 36, 26. This is this anticipation of, of hope for our hearts. It says, and I will give you a new heart. And I will, uh, and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove this heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. There's this prophecy about a day that will come where our hard, deceitful hearts that are broken will once again be made new and a heart of stone that's callous and, and obstinate to the things of God, but that will be made alive once again. Man, through the work of Jesus, Jesus comes on the scene and Jesus is the healer of hearts. That's why throughout the New Testament we're, we're constantly told to to look to Jesus for the healing of our hearts. Here's what Hebrews 10.22 says. It says, let us draw near with, true, with a true heart. Let's draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure blood. Man, we draw near to Jesus. His, his sacrifice, his death, it's atonement for our sins, man. We are sprinkled clean because of Jesus. There's healing for our hearts. There's hope in our, for our hearts in Jesus. Our hearts are made new in Christ. We are a new creation. There is hope for our hearts. Hearts are no longer broken. So we rest in this confidence. So here's the experience as Christians, though. We experience, for those of you this morning that have responded to the call of salvation. Man, you've experienced real life transformation in Jesus. But we find in our lives at times that, man, our hearts stray. Our hearts stray towards contamination. And we start to let things in that shouldn't be let in. 
And this happens in our Christian experience. And, and until Christ returns, th there'll be this war for and battle for our hearts. Who is going to get our hearts? Who's going to get access to our hearts? As followers of Jesus, man, we want to keep our hearts holy before God and God alone. And we, we see this in, in the New Testament. James is, is, is rebuking some Christians. Christians who have had heart change, but their hearts are not being guarded. And so in James 3.14, he says, You have bitter and jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts. Being rebuked. And they've had new hearts, but they've allowed contamination and brokenness to creep in. Sinful tendencies to creep in their heart. James 4.10 says, purify you, your hearts, you double-minded. Their, their hearts aren't, weren't focused and, and blameless before him. They were, they were double-minded. So as our, our job as followers of Jesus, what we need to do is to guard our hearts. I love this phrase. We need to guard it. We need to protect it. And it says, with all vigilance. This is like a wartime picture. Like we need to get the axes out and the shields and the, and the, the swords and we be, need to be prepared for battle. Watch over your heart. If someone offends you, man, there's an opportunity for this root of bitterness to get into your heart. And we need to be vigilant with our hearts. We need to get the sword out. Any root that tries to, to deep, to burrow its roots into our heart, man, we cut it out. Man, if you're making a lot of money at your job, man, and the love of money is starting to take root in your hearts, man, you got to be vigilant. Watch out for the love of money and protect your heart. Cut it out. If you're seeing something that you shouldn't be and lust is starting to take root in your heart, cut it out. I mean, the list goes on. Be vigilant of our hearts. Be vigilant of our hearts. So, for those who are responding to the way of our Father, the invitation of our Father, this passage tells us specifically how we are to experience wisdom and life in Him. So what are we to do with our hearts as, as followers of Jesus? What are we to do with our hearts as we listen to our good Father? So verse 1 of Proverbs chapter 3, it says this, Let your hearts keep my commandments. Let your hearts keep my commandments. What's interesting is he doesn't say let your mind keep your, my commandments. It's not just about knowing. There is something that has to get into our hearts because if it gets into our hearts, we'll actually do it. So this implies that we're listening to God, reading scripture, we're, we're understanding the way of Jesus, and then we're obeying his commandments, his way of life, his way, he has a way of life. But here's the deal, what this, what this passage is also telling us, it's not just obeying, it's wanting to obey. That's, that's what this passage, that's why we have to get his commands into our heart, because God, our Father, wants us to want to Obey. If, if you're a parent, you know that good parenting includes teaching our children not just obedience, but willful obedience. I mean, you could tell your kids, I told you to sit down and stay down. And they might like, you know, finally give up and say, okay, I'm going to sit down. But in their heart, they're saying, I might be sitting down on the outside, but I am standing up in the inside. Right? That is just as bad. That's bad. They're, just because they're sitting down doesn't mean that's a good thing. They have to want to. They have to be happy and obedient children, right? And as followers of Jesus, man, we have to be willful. 
Like, we have to love God's commandments. His commandments have to be a delight. We have to get into our heart that his way is the best way. And this counteracts other desires. It's like, man, that way looks really good. Those people over there, they're making a lot of money. Their way seems to be pretty good. Now, we, with our hearts, we have to love his commandments. Got to get them into our hearts. The second thing we're told to do with our hearts in this passage in verse 3, it says, let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. It says, bind them around your neck and write them on the tablet of your heart. So what this passage is saying is giving us a metaphor that there's a tablet on our heart. I don't know if you knew that there was a tablet on your heart. So what is this tablet of our heart? Well, I, I think it's like the mottos that people live by. You know, it's kind of trendy to put a motto up in your house, uh, you like kind of paint it now and you make it all decorative in your house, like live, love, laugh. That's a motto for life. And that's written on people's tablets of hearts. And the way that they live is demonstrated like live, laugh, love. Most of the people that have live, laugh, love don't actually live that way, but they they're say that on their wall. But the tablet of their heart says something different. Now in Texas, we have this motto that, that a lot of Texans live by. It says, I didn't climb all the way up to the top of the food chain to eat vegetables. <laughs> right? Texans are living with that on the tablet of their heart. That's, that, that, that is written on the tablet of our heart, and as it's written on the tablet of our heart, then they live because they believe that truth with all of their being. And so what is being told to us by God, our Father, is saying, man, you have a tablet, and I can see what is written on the tablet of your heart. Here's what he tells us to do with the tablet of our heart. He says, let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. So this is taking a step further than just getting his commands into our hearts. Saying, let not steadfast love forsake you. What he's talking about is the character of God. Multiple times, God is referred to as the one who is steadfast in love and faithfulness. It's the character of our God. He's not just saying to get the commandments of God into our heart. He's saying, let the person, God our Father, get into our hearts. Let his character, let his nature, let his ways, let our Father influence us. Let us be the children that Father follow in the way of our Father, that we love what he loves, that we follow in the, his practices and do the things that he does. Let not love and faithfulness forsake you. And get those into the tablet of your heart. The third thing that we're told with what to do with our heart. We're told to trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. I love that this passage tells us to trust in the Lord with all of our heart. And I love right after it, it tells us, and do not lean on our own understanding. What's the greatest challenge to trusting in the Lord with all your heart? Is us leaning on our own understanding. You know who is the most influential person in your life? It's you. You are constantly listening to yourself. Moment by moment, you are listening to what your mind is saying and your emotions are saying. We are constantly listening to ourselves. The most influential person in our life is us. And so what we need to do to experience the path of life is to silence what's going on in our head at times going on in our emotions 
and trust in him and his way. Trust in him and his way. We have a very, very high view of ourselves. We'll never say it because it's, it's prideful to say it. But oftentimes at the end of the day, it's ourselves that we trust the most. And what God wants is us to trust him more than we trust ourselves. And so many of us are just driven by our feelings. My friend says that our emotions are a wonderful servant but a horrible master. Some of us are mastered by our emotions. Mastered by our thoughts and our worry and our anxiety and our fear and our lust and our anger. Man, we're controlled. What God wants us to do is to take our hearts and to trust him with all of our hearts. One of the commentaries I've read and it's been helpful as I've gone through the book of Proverbs is a guy named Ray Ortland. And in this passage, in this commentary, he, he asks three questions. What I think is, is helpful, like the diagnostic questions. Are you really trusting God? Are you really trusting him? So I want to ask these three questions. I've modified them a little bit. Here's the first question. Do you let the Bible overrule your thinking? When was the last time you experienced that? See, as followers of Jesus, as, as those who want to follow in the way of life that our Father is, is showing us, man, we should be frequently challenged. It should be a regular occurrence as we read Scripture. It's like, whoa, my life doesn't believe this. All my behavior, it doesn't come in line with this. And we need to be rebuked by God's word and corrected and changed. And, and this needs to be a regular occurrence in our life. What, what's scary, what's scary is, is when we read scripture and like we get to a part we don't like. And we say, well, that doesn't really mean that. Or, you know, there's a lot of interpretation. I mean, just Google any verse in the Bible, and you will find a hundred different interpretations of that Bible, rather than the plain interpretation of that scripture, that verse. So you can find excuses to not believe what God clearly says. You could compromise, but, man, it should be. Man, we take God's word at face value, and we allow it to shape our lives. Here's the second question. Do you believe that people can experience the good life apart from Jesus? The Father is inviting us to the good life. And what we believe as Christians is that the only good life can be, the only good life that is to be had is found in Jesus. And in a society today, and culture today, we can look around and we can see, man, those people seem so successful or those people seem like such good people. They, they seem like they're happy, man. They're experiencing the good life. Well, good for them. They're experiencing good life, and uh, they're going their way, and I'm going my way. And that, you know, it's all good. It's a good life. I'm choosing my way. They're choosing their way. And as Christians, we need to be totally convinced that any other way than apart from the way that Jesus provides Access to our Father is not the way of life. It's the way to death and destruction. There's no compromise. There's no middle ground. It's only either God's way to life or any other way to death. We need to be rock solid 
rock solid and confident. That's the truth we profess. There is no room for compromise. The, the third question is, have you taken a risk to obey God and when was the last time? If we are on this path of life that the God our Father is, is giving us, then, then it means that our lives are going to be completely different. I mean, it means we're going to behave differently. It means that we're going to be like in our neighborhood, and our neighbors are going to go say, why are you doing that? Why in the world would you do that? Like, we need to get ridiculed because of our behavior, or we need to get applauded by our, our behavior because it's different. It has to be countercultural because God's way isn't like the patterns and, and behaviors of the world. It's totally different. When was the last time you took a risk to obey God? Trusting that his way is better than your way. Trusting that his way is better than society's way. I was uh, reading, just reading this passage, and uh, I, I found that um, there's a Puritan named John Flavel that uh, you know, wrote 100 pages on this commentary on this verse, Proverbs 4.23. And what he says uh, in, in his commentary is that our hearts are like instruments that need to be tuned. Hearts are like instruments that need to be tuned. He says, once you tune a, a, a guitar, um, you know, just a couple days later, it's out of tune. Right now, my two oldest kids, 13 and 12, they're learning how to play the guitar, and they're constantly playing the guitar out of tune, and it drives me crazy. And it's like noise, right? I'm like, tune the guitar. And our hearts are like instruments. As we connect and we draw close to God, and we trust God, and we, and we give God our hearts. And he's so kind, and he's so good to, to, to heal our hearts and to tune our hearts. He tunes our hearts. And man, you go a couple days, and you'll find that your heart's out of tune again. If, you, if you're not staying connected to God, two days later, your heart's out of tune. Or sometimes your hearts are bumped. Um, you know, so something hits you, some unexpected event in your life hits you, and you're, and you're, you're, your heart's out of tune. Man, our hearts need to come back to him. Our hearts need to come back to him. Now, God our Father is faithful. He's the God of steadfast love and faithfulness. What he wants us to do is, a, this is kind of a gross picture, but just rip our cavity open. Pull out our hearts and say, God, here's, here's my heart. And perhaps in this room, you're like, man, I want to give God all my heart. Half of my heart wants to give all my heart to God. <laughs> I, I want you to know that that's enough. You just come to God with that honesty and say, God, here's my heart. I have to be honest, only half of my heart really wants to follow your way. The other half is like, but God, would you, be, would you help me with my heart? Man, God wants to tune our hearts. God wants to tune our hearts. And you know what? There's no one more skilled and more qualified to deal with the issues of our heart than our Father. You're not alone. You're not trying to figure things out on your own. No, our Father is here and he wants to help you. So let's pray. God, we thank you that you're the God of steadfast love. 
and faithfulness. We thank you, Lord, that there is no compromise in you, that, that you clearly tell us what is the road to life and how we are to experience it. That it's not confusing for us because you clearly tell us. God, our hearts are at times confused. We pray, Lord, that you would help us with the confusion of our hearts, with the brokenness of our hearts, Lord. We want our hearts to be all all yours. We want to love you with all of our hearts. Help us, Lord. What a challenging word to have brought 